Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pot on the Tine, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on the show this week. The sky cameras come to St James's Park, but leave with Newcastle still searching for that first win of the season. The Boo Boys were out for Bruce again, but not with both barrels it seems. And we eavesdropped on the Athletics' Shearer Andy Carroll chat. What's next for the bench and basher? Hello, I'm Taylor Payne, and welcome back to the podcast that just keeps ticking along. Yes, it's another episode of Pod on the Tine, and joining me as always are the Athletics' Newcastle United correspondent Chris Woff, and our senior writer, Mr. George Culkin. How the devil are you, chaps? Chris, have you uh, managed to figure out how to use the club's Wi-Fi yet? So you can ask questions in press conferences? Or is that still beyond you? Uh, hi, Taylor. I have just a, just about worked out. Thankfully, uh, you can you can hardwire uh, in like an Ethernet cable at St. James, because otherwise the, the internet is pretty crap. So I did get I did ask a question. I did hear the answer this time around. So yes, I am, I am tickety-boo, thank you. Just ticking along nicely. How about yourself? I'm not too bad at all. I'm all right. It's been a decent week. The sun's shining. And Mr. Sunshine himself, George Culkin, is with us as well. George, how are you? Hello to both of you. Yes, I'm sitting in exactly the same seat as I was last week. I am um, about to say the same old bollocks to the two same old people that I've been saying for weeks and weeks and months. So in if the, if the frames of reference for that is Newcastle United, then I'm doing absolutely everything that I can hope for, really, aren't I? <laughs> Absolutely. We wouldn't want it any other way, would we? I'm ticking over staying exactly where I am. So that's what more could I want? Excellent stuff. Well, The Athletic is still offering 33% off new subscriptions to podcast listeners at the minute. So get yourself over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to take advantage of that special offer. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Come on, you Maggie's. Right then, chops. Friday night football. Friday night saw the Sky Sports cameras rock up to St. James's Park to witness Newcastle take on Leeds in a game that was considered pivotal by fans and pundits alike. But before we get into the match proper, chaps, let's have a little chat about that Friday night football build-up. They did get some praise from a lot of fans and also from George as well uh, for hosting a discussion with a select group of supporters. And they were quite even-handed in their interview with Steve Bruce as well and their discussions on the behind-the-scenes situation at Newcastle. What did you think of the whole Friday night football uh, fiasco, Chris? Well, I mean, George was the one who was, who was watching it from home. I've seen the clips on, on social media and I did think that it was it was good that the, mm. the supporters were actually given that voice rather than sometimes where we maybe uh, hear some pundits uh, on certain... Uh, national radio stations or TV stations or the like, and and basically they're not actually listening to what Newcastle supporters think and feel, and and obviously all Newcastle fans think and feel different things, but prominent voices within the fan base at least gives you some indication of of, of what people on the ground think, and sort of see Carragher and uh, and Gary Neville interviewing fans just outside uh, Nine Bar was, was great to see. Now, obviously, George can say a bit more about exactly what was said within it and how it sort of came about. Well, yes. I mean, I just think that instead of instead of people on on the TV and radio saying, well, what is it that Newcastle fans actually want? I mean, I don't get it. Steve Bruce is doing a great job. Um, people actually 
took the time to bother asking Newcastle fans what it is they want. Wow, amazing! And 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 fun, funnily enough, you you then get the answer. So, and of course, as Chris says, you know, you're talking about thousands and thousands of people, and you know, there are all shades of of opinion. But there was an attempt to try and put into context what the feeling is at the moment around the club and why you know why Leeds were seen as sort of important and so on and so forth and i just you know i just think that's really important sort of sort of sort of pretending you don't know or not understanding make an effort to understand and you know as you would expect and hope when um our 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 fans are talked to they they come across very very well they're very articulate um Represented by um, by you know certainly by by a couple of friends of of, of this podcast in Alex Hurst and Thomas Concanon um, and others and they just you know they just explained what it's been like watching the football what it's you know like having an ownership that's checked out and what what it's like having a manager in Steve Bruce who you know so often doesn't doesn't chime with supporters in terms of a what he says and b b then what he does in terms of the team and it was just very refreshing and and they listened and you know that's what you want you don't just want pundits to tell you what you think i want you know i want i want them to be informed and and informative yeah. and you know Neville and Carragher to their great credit i mean they've been brilliant on you know monday night football and 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 stuff like that over the years and genuinely have added to the gaiety of the nation and 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 to 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 the way that we think about football and look at football but it's just great for them to to listen and kind of be part of the conversation in in that sense so no all credit to them and and certainly all credit to the to the fans that took part Good stuff. Yeah, it was excellent. And, uh, you know, it's it's really nice to hear them asking fans. You know, it's revolutionary, isn't it? Imagine that. Asking football fans what they think about football. Whatever next, George. <laughs> no, you're right. But, I mean, it's it's not something that I ever, you know, I, it's not something I ever take for granted. I mean, I think I tend to think that, I don't mean that we're different, but, you know, we live in, we live in Newcastle. Um, and, you know, certainly I've been watching the, you know, used, used to make me laugh when sometimes... The paper I w- used to work for, it was like a Lond- London-based broadsheet and stuff like that, because the person that reported on them was someone who's lived, was lived in the, you know, has lived in the city mm. or lived in the yeah. northeast all my life, and so I kind of, and you know, I've got friends and family who go or have decided to walk away or you know both and things like that. So it's kind of very easy for me to sort of tap into that because I'm feeling it every day and I'm around it every day. But nothing, nothing boils the piss more rapidly and with greater violence than when people claim not to understand what it is that fans want because your first job should be to understand and to ask the question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, eventually some football did break out and it was a fairly fairly exciting game for the neutral. About 40 attempts on goal all in all and Steve Bruce's men managed to eke out a 1-1 draw and actually maybe could have won it late on as well. Winless at this stage of the season and playing against the Leeds team that... Chris, they only had one fit centre-back. Um, is, is a point good enough? If you'd have asked me before the game, I'd have said no. If you'd have asked me after 20 minutes, I'd have <laughs> laughed in your face and said there's absolutely no chance a million years Newcastle are going to get a point after this game. And then by yeah. the end of it, a point was probably a, a fair result, I think. Um, other than, I mean, Leeds could have been 3 or 4 nil up, but Newcastle were the better side in the second half. I think that once they shifted the formation, which we'll go on to in a bit, I think that Leeds never really adjusted after that. But... The fact that it's five games without, well, six games in all competition, but five Premier League games in, Newcastle only have two points. That that is that is the concern there, and they've now played Leeds, Southampton, and West Ham at home, and they've only taken two points from those games. They obviously didn't take anything at Villa, and then, and then at Man United as well. So you go into these next two matches against Watford and Wolves, and just with no form whatsoever, still unsure how you're going to find that way to a victory. And so, really, no Newcastle needed a win, but in the context of how the game unfolded. I think that a point was was certainly, as I say, after 20 minutes, I just couldn't see how that was going to be an eventuality. Yeah, I mean, it was two two teams, no defence, was it? And and it was like a basketball game. It was back and forwards for the first sort of the first 35, 40 minutes, and it was breakneck pace. Uh, Chris, you've uh, you've been involved in a, a stat based article as well with Mark Carey recently. What was all that about? Yeah, so last week we were sort of looking at this was this was pre Leeds, uh, the point when Newcastle had conceded 12 goals in, in in four games. So Mark Carey and I sort of looked at at the defence and why Newcastle had the worst defence at that stage 
in the Premier League and just looking at all the statistics and the, the fact they've only kept four clean sheets in 2021, three of them are against teams who were relegated, two, two of them were sort of back-to-back at the end of last season. They're just the, defensively over time, season on season under uh, Steve Bruce, the defence has been regressing in terms of they're the, the conceding more and more goals and that has only upticked even further this season. And, and that's the issue Newcastle have at the moment. They're, they've scored... They've twice scored two goals at, at home and didn't win either of those two games. They're just if if you're a team like Newcastle, and part of the reason why, in theory, before they were playing a five-man defence was to try and keep the opposition out. But at the moment, they're just all over the place, and so teams are getting loads of opportunities. Leads in the first half an hour. The amount of times they got in behind Matt Ritchie on one side, the amount of times they went through the middle and the gaps. I mean, there was the same move three times against Newcastle on Friday night, which was. Rafinha would break in down the right, get to the byline, the defence would then rush back and then there'd be a massive gap at the edge of the box and, and Rafinha would pull it back and uh, I think there was at one point where Click shot wide and there was a couple of other Phillips shot wide with exactly the same effort and you just it was the same mistakes over and over and over again and that is the real concern with Newcastle because they don't look like scoring enough, they, they are scoring goals but they don't like scoring enough to combat the fact that they are just conceding far too many. Can I, can I say something? I mean, I'm going to make a very, very facile point. But if Newcastle are going to be shit, then I prefer them to be shit in this... I prefer this kind of shit than last season's shit. I mean, I suppose is what I'm saying. You know, actually, a game of basketball, I prefer to watch a game of basketball than, than the football that Newcastle plays. Oh, absolutely. So, so, but again, I realise that's a very facile point and about... Um, I am very concerned about the fact that they're not winning games, and you know, as Chris says, if they if they don't if they don't win these games, where do they win? How do they win? I mean, who do they, who do they beat? Norwich, Norwich probably, but that's um, you know that's only because Norwich are even worse than Newcastle are. Um, but it's <laughs> yeah. it's it is pretty it is alarming. I mean, I people people were sort of saying on Twitter, "Oh, this is it really exciting." It's like, no, it's not. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying seeing them get torn into like this and all the space that they're leaving and all the same kind of stuff but um Steve Bruce enjoyed yeah. it though yeah well that's oh good, good. I'm glad I'm, good I'm pleased. I'm pleased nice from having a nice Friday night out isn't it half time I was feeling like it could have been it could have been a lot worse but you know so yeah that was just it was a very juvenile point but Anyway. That's okay. I was going to say, Chris, I mean, you can prove anything with stats these days, can't you? But overwhelmingly at the minute, you can use them to prove that Newcastle are shit. Yes, yes, you certainly can, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah, and there was there was a little bit of animosity in the crowd towards the manager, wasn't there? But, I mean, I, I, let's be honest, we were probably expecting it to be a lot worse, especially after, you know, the doomsday scenario, Leeds go 1-0 up with 75 possession after 20 minutes. I think... You know, I think we were expecting worse than that. Uh, and Chris, you sort of wrote from you wrote about this from the press box, and Michael Walker uh, wrote about it from the the point of view of the Strawberry Corner as well. And and what what was that feeling like inside the ground when when Leeds went one nil up? Because I think I think it kind of wasn't as bad as what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was a really really strange atmosphere on Friday night. And initially, the plan was actually that I was going to be in the press box, and, and George was going to be in the Strawberry Corner. But poor Ben was was ill on Friday, so we had to have. Uh, Michael Walker. We we I was going to say we sub, we had a substitute, but basically we we bas- we had an improvement on who would have been there. And so George oh, was George Jesus was benched. Chris, all right, and, uh, oh, kick a man while he's down. I've had a t- shot fired a, there. Oh my god! I've had a horrible cold. Basically, I woke up after the Great North Run and I was just full of cold, and I've been full of cold all week. But no, it was sort of my idea. But uh, yeah, annoyingly, Chris and Michael sort of delivered it very well, which I was a bit pissed off about. <laughs> oh, George, come on! Now. But jealousy, jealousy will get you nowhere. I was gonna, I was gonna sit in the strawberry corner, um, and so to be, be, be part of it and all that. I, I, from, I mean, it, it, it was obviously pretty, pretty noisy throughout. I mean, you could hear it coming through over the telly. It never quite. I mean, I, there, there are two things. I mean, firstly, I do always think that there is this tendency, particularly at Newcastle, when everybody it's building up to be this massive massive thing waiting for it yeah I think exactly people i think people take a step back at that point and sort of think well you know th- th- there's almost that sort of thing about not wanting that i'm not using the word disloyalty but it's not it's not not doing this in public you know it is this on was similar to what you were talking about last week where you were talking about them not not wanting to kind of air your dirty laundry in yeah public, i like. think <laughs> i i just think it 
and but the other thing, the other thing is that I, I think the game was almost too chaotic, too chaotic even for Newcastle. You know, so in other words, if Leeds had scored that goal and it had been one-way traffic and um, you know maybe they got a second, then it would have built up and built up and built up. But because it was that stupid basketball thing, it sort of seemed, from my perspective, it seemed to just suck away some of that. Um, sort of atmosphere because it was too sort of engrossing as a sort of daft end to end. I mean Leeds. I mean I know that they only had one set and a half, and I know they've not started the season, um, you know, very well in terms of results and performances compared to last season. But my God, they're still they, a I good mean, team. They're still there's just astonishing it's the way they play. Yeah. It is breakneck, isn't it? The thing about the atmosphere was that there, there was that, and I think that you're right that that there was oh, people were almost distracted because there was so much going on on the pitch. And the you also have to remember, we have to remind ourselves that a lot of the I suppose the most angry supporters have already walked away for a start. So I think there's always there's still that element where they're not necessarily in the ground. But it, it was also strange in that you would have sort of pockets of uh, chance about that that we want Brucey out or talking about his Sunderland links and and the likes of that. And then in the next breath. It would be encouragement towards the team. It would be songs about the team, or Sam Maximan would do something, and then there would be positivity. So you could see because because Newcastle weren't so far behind that they were completely out of the game. I think that fans didn't want to fully turn in that sense, and so it was there were it, there were some loud moments at some point. There's absolutely no doubt about it, and it was certainly Gallagher corner and, and the Gallagher in general was was where the majority, at least that I could hear of the of the anti boost sentiment came from, and it and it came as I say, it came in waves almost throughout the game. Um, and at different various different levels, but fans wanted to stick behind the team, and they desperately wanted them to get a positive part. I think it was the same at Man United last week in terms of the fans didn't turn until the game was really out of sight, and then that's when they turned in the in the way box. So, so the this idea that it negatively affects the team. I don't think it is negatively affecting the team fully because there is still that positivity and fans are trying to show that that positivity and it's the issue they've got is with the ownership and, and with the manager in general. It's not with the team. They are sticking with the team. And so it's a very strange dynamic and it's it's hard to explain unless you're in it, in the stadium at that point because, as I say, it comes in waves and it comes at different levels throughout the game. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Chris, as well, how many times this week did you did you read the word or hear the word toxic used about the atmosphere at St James Park and what it could potentially become if things didn't go right? Everyone was saying if it didn't go right, the atmosphere was going to be toxic. Bruce would have real bother on his hands, you know. Um, and again, like through the week, the manager had put his foot in it a little bit in pre-match press conferences, talking about the club ticking along and he wishes he had better players and all this sort of stuff. But I don't think that atmosphere ever got to that point where it became that word toxic, which is what we'd heard all week. So, I mean, did... Did Steve Bruce add to this at all with those comments during the week, or was that? Do you think people weren't really that bothered about that? So the comments that, that you're referring to, uh, which very amusingly, and I did not hear these at the game, but Michael Walker being in the stands, this is why it was good having someone in the press box up in the stand. Was uh, that the chant from Newcastle fans was "We're Newcastle United and we're ticking along," and that was in reference to Steve Bruce talking in the pre-match press conference, and he was basically asked about his position and what almost what his remit is at the club at the moment which he responded with I hope I can keep the club just ticking along and make sure that the club stays where it is and we maintain our Premier League status 
And essentially, like a substitute he was the- teacher, isn't he? It's, <laughs> it's like a substitute teacher who's been drafted in to the unruly class who who need looking after until their exam time. You know, I'll just keep them ticking along until they have exams. Well, God Almighty! I mean, it, how inspiring! It was. It, we've we've <laughs> sort of moved beyond the point where I suppose a year or eighteen months ago, where it was all about progress. And at one point, actually, Steve Bruce. A question that was worded on this ticking over afterwards, where the follow-up was basically uh, when you talk about ambition and things like that, and he actually responded and said, "I didn't mention ambition," which was which was strange in itself. But what he's trying, I think, to explain is that basically he's trying to now lower expectations and to try and show that this is the this is basically Newcastle haven't really progressed in, in, over the course of the time that he's been here they don't look likely to because he didn't get the, the players that, that he wanted during the summer and I think he's just trying to basically uh, say that in the position that we're in we're doing alright in that sense and although I can sort of empathise with him to a certain extent as to where he's come from from there it's just it's it, it sort of just crystallises the reason as to why why Newcastle fans some Newcastle fans just think well why are we bothering why are we bothering if this yeah, is just exactly. the same all, of, yep. all the time I know George had a slightly different opinion on it, and I can see where he's coming from on this as well. George, you thought that you, you actually thought it was not refreshing, but you thought it was good to actually no, hear the Manchester. Oh, oh my God, it's about as refreshing as last year's what? I don't know. Last year's what? Filling, Christmas filling. dinner. It's about as refreshing as last year's Christmas dinner, Taylor. Um, but um, nice but analogy. it's honest. But it's actually, but it's actually honest. It's it's the stuff that we've you know that we've been saying. It's the stuff that fans been saying. It's like. Come on, this isn't a club that's trying to get better. This isn't a club that's pushing for the top eight, top six. This isn't a club that's doing anything other than, you know, it's that phrase, existing to exist. And at least Steve Bruce has come out and said it. Now, I cannot for a moment imagine, uh, believe that the people above him are happy that he said it. But it's true. This is what the club is doing. They've made that, they've made, it's, it's, it's been the case for years, come on. It's been this way the whole time under Mike Ashley, hasn't it? You know, it just has, but at least he's come out and said it. And they've just gone through a transfer window when they've made one permanent signing, and and you know that's it's it's a matter of fact. The club have taken a that they've taken a gamble on that being enough and that being good enough. They're not straining for anything. They're not striving for anything. It's unusual for the manager to actually come out and admit that, um, but he has, and I think at least. At least that's honest. It's not. It's not an honest. It's not an honesty that any of us want to hear. But it just. It completely chimes. It completely chimes with what most of us think. I mean, the dangerous thing is, what the bloody hell does that do for players? I mean, you know, suddenly. You, I mean, Joe Willock's just joined the club and signed a long-term contract, and now his manager's talking about ticking over and being where the same place where they were this time. You know, this this time last year, whatever. You know, it's like. This the 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 foundations of the whole thing start to shake at this point, but it's it's accurate. It's accurate. You could put you could put like two or three things after that and keep them ticking over, and then dot 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 until we get relegated, or until we get taken over, or yeah, <laughs> until Mike yeah. Ashley pisses off, or yeah. until I get the sack. You know, it's <laughs> that's basically yeah. what it is, isn't it? We're just it's like a choose your own adventure game. That's what it is at the minute. It's, let's see what happens. Yeah. Take over until until something happens. Uh, but Chris, back to the football. There was a slightly positive response from Newcastle though after Leeds went one 0 up, and it looked as though the five three two was abandoned again. Um, now we who had um, <laughs> here we go who had five three two abandoned bingo who had the Leeds game on their on their bingo sheet for that four and a third games in. Four and one third games into the season, we have abandoned our tactical uh, approach to the to the season. Fantastic stuff. Um, are Bruce and Jones looking to change things up tactically, Chris? Do you think this is going to be something which which is going to change for the long term now, or is, was it just a, a response to what was happening in the game? Well, it's going to be interesting to see how Newcastle line up at Watford because. We, I mean, we spoke about this. I think Taylor, you and I spoke about this in the very first podcast back this season, and that the enti- Newcastle's entire policy in the transfer market. Yes, they didn't sign other players they wanted to in the end, but was basically driven about the, around the fact they were going to play with five three two. They'd played it since after the Brighton game, the three 0 loss in March. They've played five three two throughout. It worked towards the end of last season, and so it was almost like we're sticking with it because it's worked. They did it before that with the. Uh, with the formation with the split strikers and then it, it came to this and we'd said at that point that even people in around the club said were concerned because as soon as this goes wrong yeah they'll probably get binned well half an hour into the game against Leeds 
Newcastle changed the formation. They went to more of a 4-3-3. Isaac Hayden, who again was playing as a right centre-back, was moved into his natural position of a defensive midfielder and suddenly looked like a far better player playing that position. Newcastle looked more comfortable. And so Had a bit of a tussle with Mike Dean, though, didn't he, in that position? <laughs> he, he did, yeah. Mike Dean did, did his level best to try and Did a good job on him, didn't he, Mike Dean? That was, that was, that was fantastic bit of Makaleli-style spoiling in the middle of the park there. Just... <laughs> But I mean, sorry, Chris. Go on. I I have had reservations about the formation for a while, and I and I do think that it needs a refresh and needs a change. My concern is, and Steve Bruce even sort of intimated because I asked him about this after the game, and he sort of intimated that the reason they'd stuck with five three two was because of results was one of the things that he said within it, and that's been the way almost throughout his tenure as manager. And it's it, this idea that. 4-3-3 worked against Leeds but it worked against a Leeds side who are chaotic and that there is space everywhere is 4-3-3 the answer going forward in future games it might be I'm not saying that it isn't I just think it needs to be rather than it just worked for the best part of an hour against Leeds to get Newcastle back into that match is it the actual thought process of this is what we're going to switch to going forward and I'm sort of writing a piece looking at formations in this for, to, to go up later this week but Will Will at Watford on Saturday? Is he going to go back to five three two? I'd be surprised if he goes back to five three two because of the fact that it looked like Newcastle had more energy playing four three three. But is that the answer going forward? I just don't quite know if it is because it isn't. It still feels that we haven't got this vision of what Steve Bruce is trying to build towards. That's the concern I've got. It's just like right, we'll, we'll use this for now because it's sort of working. It doesn't feel to me like Steve Bruce changes tactics. To, to suit the opposition or to take any account into the opposition. He changes them when Newcastle result hits such a you know bad moment or, or whatever, and then it changes like that. It seems like, I mean, you have to point out that it changed, he changed things very effectively in, better, in, yeah, yeah, in, in the Leeds match. So we do have to sort of say that, that it's not that he's not capable of doing that because he, because he did, and Newcastle did look so much more solid when they went... Sort of four three three again, as you say, Hayden playing in his right place in in midfield. It just seems strange that the way it seems to work is that it takes a bad result or run of results, and then it's changed, and then that formation is stuck with. There doesn't seem to be kind of fluidity in the way that these formations are played. I don't know. Maybe that was, that was just something that I thought though. Well, I mean, we we managed to get back in the game again and, and Alan St. Maximin scored a, a fantastic goal dribbling right across the box. Put me in, in mind a little bit of David Ginola, that goal. Um, it, was a, it was a great goal though. And he... he Praise indeed. It, well, you know, it did. And, and Ginola used to do that as well. We'd run across defenders and they didn't know what the hell to do with it. Um, but it was a great goal and he, he seemed to be the, the real spark in Newcastle's... Uh, in Newcastle's attack, and he's massively important to us. Um, Charlie J uh, on the real-time feed from the app has asked, if St. Maximan gets injured, what is the plan? Uh, and I Panic! Think, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, run around. I think, in panic, I think that's all it is, isn't it? What do we do if St. Maximan gets injured, Chris? Like, seriously, though. Well, that is that is the, the, the real concern. What's been refreshing so far this season about St. Maximan is... Not only has he started all five games, he's finished all five games so far. We've had five 90-minute performances from him, which yeah, is point. crucial for Newcastle because that. far too long either Sam Maximan's been injured and out or he hasn't, he's got to about the 60-minute mark and he's looked burned out and he's, he's come off limping or looking shattered. So that is a positive. He looks fit, he looks hungry. He's, he scored two goals and provided two assists. So he's, he's far better ratio than in, in any of his previous two seasons at Newcastle. But there is a massive over-reliance on him. You remove Alan Sam Maximan from the team on Friday and Newcastle wouldn't have had anything really in attack. He, he just makes them tick. He drags defenders out of position. He, he's been so much more direct, I think, this season as well. Playing through the middle, he's running towards goal, he's trying to bring his teammates into play. And him and Callum Wilson, as we've said all along, are absolutely crucial to Newcastle. And if, at the minute, they don't have Wilson and so they're relying even more heavily on Alan St. Maximan, until Wilson comes back, that they need to they need to keep St. Maximan fit and they need to keep him in the side because I don't think that they do have many options at all. Dwight Gale didn't even come on again at the weekend. Steve Bruce was asked about him. And he gave an unusual response about saying, oh, it's partly to do with the formation we've been playing. Well, that formation does have two strikers up front. It does have two players up front. So it's like, well, if he's not going to play in that formation, when is he going to play? Um, so that is that is a bit of a, a concern that Steve Bruce doesn't seem to have any faith in, in his backup strikers. And therefore, Alan Sat-Maximan staying fit, I think, is absolutely crucial to Newcastle's hopes this season. He's been effective, hasn't he? I mean, that's you know we know that he's 
beautiful on the ball. We know that he can do amazing things. We know he's got a trick. We know he can he can do all the fancy stuff and drop his shoulders and um, and beat people and things like that. But he's actually doing it in a way in the right areas and is being effective. And that's absolutely vital. Um, it's been great to see, and he has to he has to carry it on. I mean, he has to carry it on. Um, as Chris says, with no Wilson, then there was such a dearth of um, of alternatives. So, yeah, bring it on. But I mean, no, it was. I mean, he he actually. I mean, I don't want to say I've been a cynic in terms of St. Maximan because I haven't. Because um, to go back to that beautiful Michael Chaplin phrase, the Bobby Dazzler, he has been our Bobby Dazzler for a couple of seasons. But um, yeah, for him to be do- for him to be doing it in a way that is actually making a difference in the bits of the pitch where you need him to make a difference. George, would you agree that his, his decision-making's kind of got a bit better as well? I think that's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's knowing when to pass the ball. It's knowing what, you know, it's that it's that classic thing about, you know, I'm sure we all remember Ben Arthur doing some sort of extraordinary stuff on the ball, but he would very often give the ball away and put the whole team in trouble. And that's, you know, that that is such a kind of key thing from... Players like that who can who can make a difference is actually knowing when to do you know when it, know when to pass when to beat your man when to give it simple when it to do that and you know it's easier said than done of course I'm making it sound very straightforward in the heat of the moment when you're running at ninety five miles an hour and you've got seven people around you but no my God he was great to watch he was great to watch um, against Leeds wasn't he and yeah actually doing it not just um, not not threatening it but actually doing it. Right, this week saw two former Newcastle number nine sit down for a very revealing chat. Alan Shearer spoke to Andy Carroll about goals and goal scorers, a frustrating two years under Steve Bruce, and leaving Newcastle United against his will for the second time, something that he clearly found very hard to take. Obviously, it was a little bit upsetting for me that I wanted to be there, the, and all my family wanted me to be there, and then mm. I'm suddenly not, and... It's it was hard, but like I say, it's that's what it is. You know, you just got to get on with it, and that's how the contract ran out. And just got to move on and find find elsewhere. How do you reflect on the on the two days that you that you had there at Newcastle? Um, it was it was tough. Like I say, I wanted to play more games. I would I would play, and then I would not play the next game. I would come on for the last minute of a game, and it was a bit stop start really. Mm. Um. I remember, obviously, we played against uh, West Ham. I think it was. We, we beat West Ham in the first game of the season. And probably to this day, it was probably the best game that we, we played as a team. Mm. And then uh, the next game, I got took off at half-time for in the Brighton game and I never played until Christmas. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that was it was disappointing as well because I think that we played really well the first game of the season. And um, the Brighton game, we were obviously disappointed with the result and the performance, but... I kind of it was kind of blamed on me really. I'm not playing again. <laughs> did you think you'd get the number nine shirt, or did you want the number nine shirt when you come back? I, mean, I know Joe Linton had it. Um, I think you were probably seen as a bit of a mentor to to him. What was what was he like, and do you think the number nine shirt was a bit heavy for him? Uh, I don't even. Uh, I think obviously he's, the way he plays. I think he's. I actually think he's absolutely brilliant. I think. Um, He's probably been playing out of position as a number nine. I don't think really is a number nine. He's probably out wide. Mm. And you see him in training. He's, he, he, he finishes left and right feet. He, he scores with his head. He's a, a great a great finisher and he's, he's, he's good. But as a number nine, I think he probably knows himself. He's not really a number nine. And and that's obviously why Callum's got it now. I don't know whether you saw much of the day on Saturday night. But I, saw, uh, I thought they did all right at Old Trafford. But it was just, uh, I'm frustrated with the club. As it has been for for a while now. I mean, I describe it as hollow and, and and empty. How do you see Newcastle United? I mean, it's hard because obviously all the lads and uh, I was in the dressing room with them, and everyone yeah. wants to do well. All the lads mm. want to do well. We want to win uh, every day. We, we try and work hard, and and it, it, there's just something missing. I don't really know what it is, but there's something missing where we don't get the results. We don't grind them out. We didn't. They, they, they still don't. I mean, there's some games last season where 
we shouldn't have lost and we should have dug deep and, and won and, and had something about us where we know how to win. Mm. And I think there's some games where we shouldn't have lost that we shouldn't have drilled and we should have dominated games and, and we haven't. Mm. But it's a, it's a good dressing room in there. You feel as if there's a, there's enough in there and there's enough ability and a, a good enough attitude for them to to do okay again, again this season, despite yeah, a difficult I, start. I, it's a, it's a, obviously it's been a hard start, yeah. And I think when I, I even speak to the lads now, the drive that they want and the, what they want to do as a club and, and drive forward and win games, I don't think it's it's not there and they've given up completely because even we, we went through troubles last season and the season before as well. Yeah. And I think the lads the lads are together, they stick together. We have meetings all the time and um, let each other. But there's something, I don't know what it is, there's something obviously in games, you think you, you just want to get a, get a hold of the game and we didn't. Mm. Uh, where and when were you happiest in uh, in your career? Uh, well, obviously Newcastle the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, 2010, um, brilliant year. Yeah, championship and then played, in, played when we got promoted. I think being at home with my family, my friends, and and being number nine for Newcastle, I think it was it was everything, as you mm. know. Well, there we go. Uh, and that was just a small chunk of that conversation between Alan and Andy. Uh, the whole thing is available to read over on theathletic.com. Um, lads, a bit of a shame for Big Andy, really, isn't it? The second come was never going to live up to the glory days. But it's interesting that he says he was fit and available mostly during his two seasons he was here and he just didn't didn't seem to get on the pitch enough, George. No, and he said he was available for 40 of 43 games last season. I mean, obviously... It's in his interest now to sort of say that kind of stuff because he is looking for another club and is waiting for the opportunity to come along. He's not he's not retiring. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of found you know that that last bit of the of that clip kind of quite sort of sad, really, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah he was you know when back in two thousand and ten when Newcastle came up and then he carried on that brilliant form in the in the Premier League and you know just absolutely bashing centre-halves to bits and scoring goals and unstoppable and unplayable and all of those things. He was a, He's one of the most remarkable centre-forwards I've seen in the flesh. And yes, I, I mean, I don't feel... I don't feel... That you know, we, we you know, he was a shadow of himself. It was an, it was an echo of of that sort of stuff when he came back. His body was obviously sort of very different. I mean, from his perspective... He didn't get a lot of chances. I don't think. It, I mean, I don't think it's a travesty of justice that um, that he's not at Newcastle anymore. I hate the fact that he feels sort of disappointed and disillusioned by the way he left. And I think that's, you know, that's typical of a lot of people who are at Newcastle and leave. I mean, that's just the way things happen. But um, it's it's a fact that if he'd stayed, I mean, you would have you would have you would have put money on him coming on on. On Friday night against Leeds, because because of the lack of options Newcastle still have, so Absolutely. he would have been getting game time um, if he'd stayed with Wilson with Wilson sort of um, being out. And I mean, he says he thinks he sort of made a difference when he did come on, uh, kind of last season that the dynamics of the game changed and things like that. He pointed out the Tottenham game when Newcastle ended up drawing and he headed the ball against somebody's hand, didn't he? Um, Eric Dyer's hand. And it wasn't a it shouldn't have been a penalty, but things, you know, things changed and he obviously wanted to come on more and uh more often and more more regularly. Again, I don't think I'm not I don't feel like that's a sort of travesty that he didn't because we were talking a lot at you know at the time that when he did come on, Newcastle would just look so very static. But they certainly didn't, you know. They certainly didn't make the most of him, and um, you know, in the same way that they they're not built to make the most out of Jalinton. I don't think they're kind of built to make the most out of anybody, really. I mean, I think that's one of the problems about the about the club. I don't know what you think, but Chris, he made, he made that point. Of, he mentioned the West Ham win uh, at the start of last season, and and you know, while Andy wasn't awfully much of a goal threat was he last year he did give us some like you say like George says a different dimension he kept defenders honest and would he have been useful enough to an asset to keep on the payroll this season well the fact that they haven't replaced him then yes and this is even before you take into account the fact that they didn't sign the players that Steve Bruce wanted because they weren't strikers I mean Bruce was asked directly during pre-season whether he felt he had enough forward options and he said that he 
excuse me, felt that he did. But he, I mean, Newcastle have fewer options in attack this season than they did last season, and and I agree with all of the. I, I sort of would have liked to have seen an upgrade on on the Andy Carroll of now this summer. I would have liked to have seen a different option come in, but Newcastle didn't even try to sign another forward and because it didn't then they are down another option and so yeah I think it would have been useful to have him he, he could create chaos when he came on he, he did score the goal against Leicester and there were a few matches I think it, elsewhere in the interview references the Spurs game when Newcastle were absolutely battered away at Spurs but then he comes on and he contributes to, to the winning of the, the penalty because he's the one who's trying to, to get up in the air and suddenly suddenly other team's bring an extra defender back because they're worried or they move deeper because Andy Carroll's there and so yes almost in a negative sense I, th- I would have liked to have seen Andy Carroll stay because of what has subsequently happened and that's the fact that he hasn't really replaced by anyone yeah and I mean it's you know it's it's easy to forget isn't it George just how devastating he was on his day and and you know what what would you pay for a for a fully fit fighting 22 year old Andy Carroll in the, in the current transfer market what would he be worth now oh 35 million quid Oh, easily. <laughs> Depends on what you're comparing him to. I mean, compared to yeah. Jill- Jillinton. Oh, my God, of course, yeah. Well, I know, yeah. And he cost... I mean, he, God, he was so good, though, wasn't he? He was so... I, well, the things... I mean, it's, maybe it's because this is so rare at Newcastle and has been for such a long time. You could watch him improve. You could see him improving game after game after game. He got better. And, I'm, you know, maybe a lot of that was just him, you know, developing. But you actually saw it happen. And he he did he absolutely terrified. I mean, he he was a throwback even then. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. because we just don't have that kind of player. Um, but physic, you know, that you know, very reminiscent of sort of the Duncan Ferguson type. And one of the one of the things I loved in the interview with 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 Alan, which I was very lucky to to listen in to, he was at, in fact I might have asked him right, right at the very end, sort of how much he'd had to adapt his game. Because obviously, you know, Shearer had to um, Shearer had to adapt as he got older, and his legs went, and he became far more static, and he was reliant on other people doing his, you know, doing his running, and so he he had to change. And the the thing that Carol said about that, which I kind of found, in some ways, you know, moving, but you know, kind of sad. Really, he sort of said, "Oh yeah, yeah," you know, it's like Sam Allardyce said that to us. He said, "You know, you you've got to change. You don't need to go for that ball." You don't need to go for every ball. And he said he had no, he didn't know how to do that. And he said, on the one hand, he's right. I know that he was right. It's like, if the ball is there, I don't have to go to it, go for it. Or, you know, I don't have to give 100% for that particular challenge. I could give less. And he says, I didn't know how to do that. I only ever knew was to go for every ball and to give it a hundred percent. And that's probably why he's been injured. I mean, you know, the, the, or that you know, there might that might very yeah, well be a it. correlation. Not knowing how to manage you, manage yourself. But then again, at the same time, hundred percent Andy Carroll was extraordinary. I mean, absolutely extraordinary. Um, so yeah, I found that very kind of. I found that quite sad, really. He was that player, wasn't he? Though, and I love these type of players where all they cared about was getting that ball into the net. And it was, if I have to take everything in the stadium with me to get it into that net, <coughs> St John's ambulance man, hot dog stand, you know, referee, everything's going in there, and I'm making sure the ball goes in the net. And he he was just a human battering ram, wasn't he? Astonishing to watch on his day, absolutely incredible. Right then, up next for Newcastle uh, is a cheeky little visit down to Vicarage Road uh, <laughs> on Saturday for a 3pm kickoff against Watford. Um, we've had a couple of questions. One of them was the, do we think we'll stick with four at the back for Watford? And we mentioned this earlier on, Chris. Uh, do you think Bruce is likely to change things up technically or do you think we'll just stick with uh, with good old faithful 5-3-2 and see what happens? Yeah, so this is a question from Aaron W. So, Aaron, I do think that he'll change to a four-man defence. Um, just just the way that Newcastle gained a bit of momentum doing it, the way, just speaking, when he spoke after the game, I mean, what he did say, to be fair, and Bruce, what he said is that we need to have more than one system and be able to change, and I've said for a while I want to change between having a four and a five, but I think going to Watford 
go into a team where Newcastle really need to win. Watford obviously had a very po- had a positive result against Norwich at the weekend. I think just because Newcastle looked so much more comfortable when they, or at least more balanced when they shifted to that, I think he will move to it at the weekend, at this weekend. With the, I'll just put my proviso out there again. I think they look partly so comfortable in it because they were against a Leeds team who did not adapt to them and a Leeds team who were expecting to play the five-man defence and didn't change because of that. I don't think it'll be as easy to do that from the start against Watford, but I, w- I think I would change it, whether it's to the same formation or at least I would I would change to four-man defence, I think. They just look more comfortable there and suddenly there were less players out of position, it felt. It was great seeing Hayden back where he should be playing and you know throwing himself into tackles and, and clearances and things like that. And I just thought... Yeah, I, I, my my concern with the other system is that it's just been found out from the end of last season, and you know the two wing backs, who aren't really wing backs and things like that. So I I I think they will stick with it. My, you know, as I said before, my my problem with Steve Bruce and formations is that he he seems to sort of stick to them until Newcastle get beaten, and then it's like starting all over again. And I'm not sure that's very sustainable. But anyway, I've thought that for a long time. Well, in terms of the result, uh, it kind of feels like Steve Bruce might have might have ridden out the storm and had a bit of a stay of execution for a few weeks, with as far as the the fans are concerned. But you know, the fans will want at least a point for Watford, won't they? And uh, the response to that will be interesting, to say the least. Um, final quick question um, from Callum K. Uh, before we finish up, uh, who are we playing in the EFL Cup this week? Couldn't see us in the draw, <laughs> despite not losing to Burnley. You should be all over this, George. Who are we playing? Yeah, I'll just have to check. I'll have to check the fixtures. Well, maybe we've just retired undefeated. Maybe that's the way. Of, maybe that's the new, should be the Newcastle way of moving Retained forward. Retained the belt. Exactly. Let's not expose ourselves Definitely to not. humiliation further down the line. Let's just retire from the EFL Cup undefeated. Lovely. You don't want to be exposing yourself, do you, Chris? Absolutely not. That's the last thing you want. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Just time now uh, to slow down your heart rates and dip your toes into the pool of tranquility, uh, which is reasons to be cheerful. Any reasons to be cheerful, chaps, after Friday night's chaos, George? We're still persevering with this nonsense, are we? Um, Apparently so. Well, I will... I can bring the quiz back if you want, George. No, 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 no. Right, well, shut your face and get on with it then. Let's let's do it the Steve Bruce way. Let's stick with this until it's gone way beyond the point of tenability. (laughs) Then we'll bring the quiz back. Stick with that until I've lost (laughs) ten in a row. Then we'll go back to reasons to be cheerful. Yeah. Or we could just do reasons to be... I don't know, pissed off. Well, that's just a podcast, isn't it? Let's be honest. Right, reasons to be cheerful. I will mention Gillington. We heard Andy Carroll... Talk about what a brilliant finisher he is. Uh, I'm not sure I can see that from what I've seen over two and a bit years. But I did think he played very well against Leeds. I mean, apart from the obvious bit, um, which was not shooting very well. But he oh, that miss. Oh, oh no, I know. But he and and so normally I wouldn't I wouldn't normally say this because I I I do think that the shooting bit is the most important. But. I do think he made a positive contribution to the team, and I think without him they would have struggled. He he did have some physicality. He uh, he, he he put himself about. I think I think he offered himself, and I think he caused Leeds some problems. So I I will I will say him because I've given him certainly I've given him a lot of stick. I mean not because I think he's a terrible human being. Um, I blame the club for this 100%. I don't blame him for it, but um, I thought he actually played very well. So I'm going to say John Linton is a reason to be cheerful. Chris, how about you? Yeah, I'm not quite as positive on the Joe Linton front, but I'm so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna necessarily fully. Oh, you're agree with so there. negative. You're so negative. I, I, I was scraping the barrel there. I mean, I was absolutely. It was a barrel, and I was scraping it with my fingernails, and that's what I, I came up with. I do agree that he was better, but I still think relative. <laughs> that's almost relative. Well, the, to him. I, this, I just the, I just think there is more to come from, and that is the frustration I still have with Joe Linton. Is I do actually think there is more to come from him. So I, I I'll say that as a positive, but my my positive <sighs> would be the would be the obvious one and that would be uh, Alan Sat Maximan and I do think that I agree with what George said earlier there were points certainly towards the start of last have season Have I not already said him? Have I, have I not already said him in this segment this season? You can't just repeat I mean I could have done that that's just that's too easy we've done a yeah, big thing George, on him. George when he is the only reason to be cheerful that's going to get repeated <laughs> I did I, I did like it when he said on he said on Twitter because Shearer said what did he said G T 
F I Alain Saint Maxima and clappy hands. Something Get like that. Fin. I can't think. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And he said, Thank you, but what does G T F I mean? <laughs> Um, so he didn't understand that. So a lot of people then replied with what it was. I was going to. I was trying to think of like an alternative GTFI that somehow would have kind of characterised Newcastle. Greg's Friday. Gosh, terrible football, isn't it? Yeah, but I couldn't think of. Maybe I should have done that. But anyway, just just to quickly finish my point. No, no, no. The reason I'm the reason. I'm positive about him. Is that it? Look, he looks focused. He looks determined at the moment. He looks like he has a point to prove, and he wants to be the player who is going to make the difference for Newcastle. And that's crucial because he is the only player they have with Calum Wilson out into at the moment who will make a difference. So at Watford, if Newcastle can get the ball to him on the break in decent positions. I think he gives Newcastle a real opportunity. It's going to be him and Ishmael Asara obviously going to be the two players. Everyone's going to be talking about going into this weekend. Two players who start the season very, very well and who I think are going to be crucial to both sides' chances. So let's just hope that Alan Sant Maximans, the player, comes out on top in that individual battle, even though I know they're not directly playing against one another. But you know what I mean. Absolutely. We do. Absolutely. Well, for me, reason to be well, unbeaten in the cup. I think that's a reason to be cheerful. Yeah, great. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're not Norwich. That's that's quite a good one. Uh, and also, 20 years ago this week, Roy Keane tried to intimidate Alan Shearer and failed spectacularly. And that's always worth watching. Yeah on YouTube if you get the chance uh, and do, do you know the story behind this I, I saw Alan Shearer in a, in a football in a talk in a while ago and he told the story about that incident and apparently the reason that Roy Keane lost his marbles and flipped so spectacularly was because when he threw the ball at Alan Shearer and it hit him in the back of the head Alan Shearer turned around and said to Roy Keane would you like me to sign that for you son and that was the point <laughs> When the rage hit. Uh, anyway. That's just beautiful. That is just How dare beautiful, you? <laughs> beautiful football pettiness. I love that. That's just what I want. I just want petty pettiness all the time. Gorgeous. Right. That's it, chaps. We'll be back next week for another episode of Pod on the Time. Thanks a lot, Chris and George. Take care of yourselves. Have a lovely week. And thanks to everybody at home for ticking along with us. Bye for now. Athletic.